Episode 11, Virtual Office Visits. Today, I'm speaking with Robert White from GoGo Health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I did not realize how dated my thinking was about virtual office visits until I spoke with Robert White from GoGo Health. Before my conversation with Robert White, I think if you had said to me virtual office visits, the picture that immediately would pop into my head would be a sort of a rural setting. And I would picture someone sitting at their kitchen table looking out across cornfields and speaking to a nurse on the phone for 15 minutes because the drive to the doctor's office was simply too far. And that still might be true relative to virtual office visits, but wow, things have come a long way. A patient can sit at home and cough into the microphone of their computer, which is then run through an artificial intelligence engine that can detect whether the patient has pneumonia or not. The physician can be sent this information, then can send the patient an email back, a secure email obviously, which instructs the patient to either come into the office post haste for a live visit or to rest up because they have a virus or to go to the pharmacy to pick up a script. Things are much different in the virtual office visit world than I suspected. And I really enjoyed my conversation with Robert White. I hope you will too. Welcome, Robert. Thank you very much, Stacey. I'm happy to be here. Why don't you talk a little bit about your your current role and uh, GoGo Health? Okay, I'm currently the CFO for GoGo Health. We are a startup virtual care company that is focused on establishing and strengthening the relationship between primary care doctors and their patients. So how did you become a leader in in this company? Well, I've had a long 25-year career in healthcare administration. I started off up in Boston at Mass General Hospital, where I worked for 15 years. So then I went a little rogue. My family and I decided to to move to warm weather. We we took our three kids and, and moved to Hawaii, and we had a fantastic three years um, in which I really helped start up a, a retina surgery practice in downtown Honolulu, which was just a, a fabulous experience. What did you learn in Boston that helped you start up a practice? I mean, that's that's no small shakes to start up a practice. What gave you the experience to, to do that? You know, it's really interesting because the cultures in Boston and, and Honolulu are obviously very different. But what we're able to do and and really what I was able to learn was that if you put the patient first, everything else really falls into place. I was blessed with having top quality doctors in both locations, being able to focus, you know, the entire staff, including the doctors and the residents on the patient and completing the visit and and making sure they're walking away, understanding what's happening and being comfortable with with the plan is really the key. And why why do you say that? You know, like what about those experiences led you to the conclusion that it's a it makes good business sense to put the patient first? Really, the patient being comfortable and happy with their doctor is the driver of everything else. Whether they're going to be upfront and honest with the doctor when they're they're speaking with them or answering questions, and whether they're going to be responsive and responsible in their care and follow up as the doctor has asked them to do. By putting patient satisfaction first, basically you get you reduce the churn of patients and you get referrals. Is, is that kind of how it works? Well, you certainly re- reduce um, patient turnover and you do get a lot of word of mouth referrals. And we can get back to that re- regarding Hawaii because that was an interesting story. What's the story? 
we moved into a market. It was um, Dr. Michael Bennett and myself, and we had a challenge. It was a very closed off medical community in which established referral patterns were there and it, they were difficult to crack. But we were able to approach each, each doctor that was not sending us patients and say, you know, look, send us, send us five patients. If they don't all come back to you with the same report that that was the best experience they ever had, never send us a patient again. Believe me, when you put patient satisfaction and, and quality of care as first, they really do feel that way and they really report that back to their doctors. Wow. So that was your strategy to grow patients. You you called up doctors who w- would be, you thought would be good candidates to refer business and, and had that conversation with them? Yes. And it, and it worked incredibly because focusing on patient care and patient satisfaction really resonates with doctors that have to talk to these patients on a routine basis. Did you find, especially since you came from Boston, big institution, and I guess in Hawaii it was a startup, so you you, you probably could had a lot of uh, ability to do whatever you wanted. You, you have the ability to hire the right people and really communicate that message in a small area as opposed to Mass General, which is a little more challenging with about 10,000 employees. Just the scale of a larger institution. I mean, number one, you, you of course, have change management issues at, at that level, but also maybe it's, it's difficult to convince people who might have, I don't know, maybe to, to exaggerate a little bit, maybe a pennywise and pound foolish outlook where they think they're saving money by scrimping on things which would improve patient experience. And at the end of the day, they, they damage their top line. Exactly. And, and, and in Hawaii, we saw the big picture. You know, we built an office that was the most beautiful office I, I'd ever seen. And, and to this day, it's still the most beautiful office. And really those details of, you know, decorating and having fresh flowers in the lobby every day really made a difference to the patients. They really felt like they were at the top of the food chain in terms of quality. You're in Hawaii. You start this booming business. Then what happens? Life happens. And, and really, where, where we were at is we really decided we had to come back to the mainland. You know, I had some, some issues with my parents and their health. They were both in Boston. And then a, a position opened up with someone I had previously worked with down in Orlando. And by that time, you had gone completely soft because you hadn't experienced a Boston winter for however many years. It was only three, so it, it wasn't as bad as, as you might think. I mean, now, you know, so, but my, my family was very excited about living near Mickey. All right. So now I'm at the edge of my seat. How did we get to GoGo Health? What happened? All right. So GoGo Health was a, an incredible connection. Um, there's a healthcare industry expert named Michael Sinsheimer who works out in North Carolina, and he's really a, a facilitator of, of partnerships and connections. Well, I ran into him on LinkedIn just you know, innocently looking at LinkedIn and started up a conversation with him. And he said, you know, I think I have a project that's good for you. And he said, I want you to meet, you know, people at GoGo Health. And so I met the people at GoGo Health and, you know, I was sold from day one in terms of the value proposition that GoGo Health presents. And what was it about that value prop that you found so intriguing? The product offered benefits to every party in the healthcare environment. You know, a lot of projects, products will make the doctor a lot of money or, make the insurance company a lot of money, or, you know, there are some products that make it more convenient for patients. But this really hit a home run in that all parties were benefited. But let's take this from the patient standpoint. So if I'm okay. a patient and I'm working with a doctor that has GoGo Health, what what is my experience? Like what happens first? What happens second? Okay. Um, so if you wake up in the morning and you're not feeling well, you have a, you know, a cold or a cough or a sore throat, you have the ability with GoGo Health to go on your smartphone, log into the doctor's site, enter your symptoms, and then the doctor has a protocol in place for those symptoms, ask you a series of questions to get you to 
your next next point in care. So what the patient's able to avoid is waking up, taking a shower, driving across town, waiting in a waiting room for two or three hours because they're just calling in. It's not a scheduled appointment to see their doctor to get basically the same care they could get virtually. I am a patient. I have, I don't know, a sore throat. Instead of calling up my doctor because I'm concerned it's strep, you know, calling up Mm -hmm. my doctor, waiting on the phone, having them squeeze me in at four. I go there knowing full well that squeezing me in at four is going to mean I'm going to see a doctor at five and I'm going to sit there cooling my heels and feeling sick for an hour. Instead of all that, only to discover that it's a virus and they can't do anything for me anyway, I can um, just pick up my my smartphone and um, log in and type in my symptoms and, and the doctor will get back to me and say, oh, it's only a virus or, or what happens? The doctor will get back to you and, and make the determination of what you need next. Um, if, you're, if you need to go to a pharmacy and pick up a prescription for an antibiotic, if, you, if he's not really sure what you have, he's going to contact you and say, you know, I do want you to come in. But the, the whole process of determining what your symptoms are and, and, and how you're answering those questions is giving him a head start. So your, your visit will actually be more efficient. And is it like multiple choice questions or like how, how am I filling in what I have? Do I take a, a selfie of my of me with my mouth open or, or like what? Well, that's that is an interesting option. Um, ultimately, it's yes or no questions or, you know, multiple choice questions selecting, you know, how long you've, you've encountered this or do you have a history of these? We, we are currently integrating some some really neat tricks into it. Um, we already have the capability to upload a picture. So if you did want to take a picture of your throat or a, a, a rash on your arm or a burn on your leg, you can upload that to your doctor and that gets sent right to him for him to evaluate. We're working with a very interesting company in um, at the University of Brisbane in Australia, which you know, they were charged by the Gates Foundation to come up with a way to, de- to detect pneumonia based on the, the cough sound. And so we're going to integrate that into our engine where you can cough into your phone, cough into the microphone of your computer and send it into us and we'll be able to determine through this this um, Australian weapon, I'll call it, um, if you have pneumonia or not. And so it rules that out and what they're, you know, the further development of that is to determine what that cough sounds like, whether it's asthma or a cough or an allergy or pneumonia. That could be a really interesting use of the phone as a biometric device. You know you can yes. measure all kinds of things with your phone. And, and we have the capability. Our architecture allows for all of that. And, and you know, one of our founders, Dr. Foster Carr, um, he's been working in telemedicine for 20 years. And he is, you know, one of the world's leading proponents of, of all those capabilities with, with mobile devices. So what, what do, you, do you what do you call this? Is it a virtual office visit or is it a pre-visit or is there a name for what you guys are doing? I wouldn't call it pre-visit because, you know, we're we're discovering that about 60% of the people that log on to GoGoHealth get their issue resolved with the virtual visit. It's not it's not a precursor to something else, whether it's, you know, the, the doctor can say, okay, I, I've looked at this, you just need to rest, or I sent you a prescription, or here's another home remedy you can try. Would you consider it a blending of mobile health and telehealth, or, or is, is everything online, or is there a telehealth component to it? Everything is asynchronous, so it's none of it is live. We have the capability of if it's truly something that needs to be, um, you know, the doctor needs to talk to that patient immediately. We have the capability of transitioning it over to a video conference. But the, you know, the ultimate purpose of, of Google Health and how it's been created is, is to make it asynchronous so that it's not a drain on the doctor's time and it doesn't require that one-to-one connection, which is, you know, the same thing as an appointment in their office. 
So let's look at this from the provider standpoint, because the first thing that pops into to my head as a provider is, am I losing money somehow? You know, it is if I go through the, this process, am I losing reimbursement dollars? It's very interesting you ask that question. And, and it's obviously a, something that's very preeminent in the minds of providers is that they're worried that it, it will represent losing money. In the first case, these are virtual visits and they are reimbursed. Uh, most private payers will reimburse. It, there's a CPT code for it, for a virtual virtual care visit. Um, it's not reimbursed at the level of an of a in-office visit at this point, but there's actually a proposal on the floor of the House of Representatives right now in which Medicare will pay the same as an in-office visit for a virtual visit. Can we just go back to the the CPT code? I just want to make sure that I that I totally understand this. So if I present, you know, I log in and I present with, as you said, say a rash, what kind of CPT code am I looking for in order for the doctor to get reimbursed? That's the CPT code for a virtual visit. It's not necessarily that the diagnosis per se. There is a CPT code for a virtual visit currently. Yes. Yes. Nine nine four four four. <laughs> you would know that. And is this something that's universal or are there only certain payers that honor that CPT code? At, at this point, because of different different state laws, uh, there are only certain payers that pay it. Um, the majority of private payers do pay it. You know, we found Cigna, Aetna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield and United Healthcare are the four biggest payers nationwide. They, they do all reimburse for that care. And it's really the government that's the, the last holdover. And but, but you said that there's something on the table that it's going yes. to be considered? When, when is yes. that up for review? That will be, um, it would be enacted in January of 2015. How's it looking? Is it looking positive? Yes, it is. And and, and the government and, and even the VA is now in there is, you know, they're, they're seeing the inherent value of, of virtual care and telemedicine um, as, as something that can help alleviate, obviously, the, the appointment issues that the VA has seen, but also, you know, being more convenient for patients that are, you know, on Medicare that are over 65 and, and may have trouble getting around. From an integrated delivery network standpoint, do, do you think these same value props, value propositions still apply or is there enough differential in the reimbursement between a virtual visit and an actual visit that there needs to be something else which would inspire a, a provider organization to go down this virtual route? Well, it's very nice of you to ask that question because I, I can certainly give you the other values. In terms of the reimbursement and, and the backup to that, I think, you know, our focus is on common illness, illnesses. And what we want to do is allow the doctor, the primary care doctor, to focus on patients who really truly need that face-to-face interaction. Now, what we're seeing with the ACA and expanding medical care to another 40 million Americans, I believe, is, you know, primary care doctors already underwater are, are now under siege with patients wanting to see them. And so they're they're scheduling out two and three weeks for appointments. And really what they're really doing is they're putting themselves at risk for their established patients to not, not letting them in the door. And, and so from that standpoint, by taking care of patients on a virtual basis for common illnesses that really don't need that face-to-face interaction, those doctors are opening their schedules up to see patients that truly need the face-to-face, whether they're new patients or they're um, existing patients with serious conditions. And it's not, in, in that sense, losing them any money because they're getting additional revenue because they can take care of patients for a virtual visit in between their patients. Got it. So, you know, actually, I have been reading, there's a book recently called Essentialism. And effectively, what that that whole movement is all about is making sure that 
you know, there's a difference between being busy and being productive. And it kind of sounds like what, what this does is it's along the same lines by efficiently handling the patients which really don't necessarily need a full office visit. A doctor can really spend his or her time focusing on what really matters, you know, the, the patients where an office visit is really going to make a difference to them. And, and another another obviously example, which I, I've touched on, but I wanted to um, reinforce is that primary care doctors are losing patients and they're losing them to Walgreens and Walmart and convenient places to receive care. Google Health steps in and, and alleviates the need for the patient to go elsewhere. That's a great point. Thank you. Sure, Robert. Anytime. If I'm a provider, what is my that's using Google Health? What what does my day look like? Your day looks like any other day, other than the intensity of the visits you have may be increased because your your common illness patients aren't coming into the office. So you're and and really what I've seen in in my experience with the practices is when you have a lot of walk in traffic, when you have a lot of patients that need to come in on an urgent basis, your entire day gets blown up. And it, and it impacts not only those patients who have to wait longer than they want to, but it also impacts patients that had pre, pre-existing scheduled p- visits that now get, get pushed aside and, and, and pushed off. Do I have to make sure that there's time in between my patients or something? You know, do I have to schedule like virtual visit time, you know, a half hour here, a half hour there so that I can make sure I log on and, 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 and check what's going on? What Google Health does is... The actual time where the doctor has to render care is reduced to two to three minutes to really review this this soap note that's laid out exactly as he wants it to be. It gives him exactly the information. He can customize it to give him the exact information he wants and make a decision what needs to be done. You know, then he, he puts a note in the EMR with the treatment plan and sends it off to his triage nurse to call the patient or if he really wants to call the patient himself, he can. But it's a it's a very seamless transaction. I understand it's really efficient, but I'm just trying to figure out what my day would look like. In other words, do I have to book a half hour for myself in between to take care of the the, the all of the patients who are coming in virtually? I have not witnessed a, a situation in my 25 years in which physicians don't have time between appointments. You know, and certainly cancellations are, are a big thing as well. You know, so basically, I, I don't have to even change my booking arrangement. You do not need to change your booking arrangement other than, you know, they could be longer visits. If you if you put someone on your schedule for pink eye, you can do that. You can do that check in 15 minutes. You can you can put that slot in. But instead of that, you're going to have someone that has, you know, abdominal pain you know, or something that really needs them to, to be examined. How does somebody evaluate GoGo Health or, or what, you know, I'm, I'm obviously this is not something that can be done at a physician level. It would be a provider organization that would hire you, correct? It can be it can be a standalone physician. It can be any doctor that wants to improve his patient satisfaction and his efficiency. You don't really have though, like Doctor Smith at some large ACO that's that's using you out, outside of if it's an owned um, physician. In other words, a physician that's an employee of a practice. I you I can't just hire you guys. It would have to be my practice that does. Correct. 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 And how does this? all fit in to all of the other technologies that that practices are using these days. I mean, you've got your EHR system, you've got your patient portal, you have, I was talking to somebody the other day that has a really slick scheduling system. I mean, there's just so much stuff that's going on, clinical decision support. How, how does this, how does your system, is this another portal? 
that um, it, it, it is not another portal, and that's that's one of the the, the main uh, benefits of the of the system is we've built it with very open architecture that allows us to plug and play into EHR systems and practice management systems. What we're able to do is white label our solution so that we, we basically place a link on the doctor's website so that when the patient clicks on, I'm not feeling well, it doesn't say GoGo Health, it's, it's their doctor's site. And it just, our engine just comes right up on the doctor's site. That's from the patient standpoint. So if I'm a yes. provider in my office, is this another portal that the doctors have to remember? No, essentially all the doctors really going to need on a, on a daily basis is to, you know, when a patient takes an assessment, they submit it to their doctor and a link is sent to the doctor, you know, to follow that link to see the soap note, you know, which is the results of the interview. And how, how is the link sent to the doctor? I mean, if a, I'm a doctor, I get it as an email or how does it come to me? But you get an email saying go to the site, and it's gonna it's gonna pull up Google Health and log him in automatically because of the link. It's all programmed in, and he's essentially gonna open up the soap note, type in his notes for a treatment plan, and hit save, and it's gonna upload to the EHR, and then he's gonna route it to whoever needs to take care of the patient. So it's a separate portal, but when you hit save, it goes into the EHR, or is the the soap note actually somehow contained within the EHR system? I'm just I'm not understanding. We have to submit it to the EHR system. And so there are two ways we can do that. We can do it as a standalone document like a PDF, which would just be an attachment in, into the EHR system, which we can orchestrate. Or if we have a full integration with their system, like Allscripts is a good example. That's a company we've been working with. We have full integration so that we can pull information and we can push information. And it's, in, and it's true information, not just a picture. So probably one of the first questions a provider organization would ask is, do you have integration with my EHR? Would that make, is that true? Yes, we, we, we get that frequently. And our, our answer is, you know, three to five days, we can build that interface and have that integration. Ah, so if, if I have eClinicalWorks, for example, and um, I mean, maybe this is the beauty of you guys being a startup and I want the integration into my EHR, you would actually make sure that for each um, EHR system that someone comes to you with that the integration is is built out. Yes, we we would we would build out that inter that um interface. And it really takes three to five days. Yes, no more closed systems. The 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 the, the one challenging one is obviously going to be Epic because Epic is is a lot bigger than anything else. When you upload it into the EHR, it actually goes right into the patient record as like a as an office visit. You know, just yes. like you typed it into the EHR yourself, like, the, mm -hmm. you know, when the person was actually in the office, it looks pretty much the same. Yes. With that full integration, it's 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 like they are, they were there. They were virtually there. So it really doesn't take any more. You know, if, if there is that full integration there, then it, it's not like there is um, downtime where you're you're copying notes from one place to another or something. Correct. It's, it, we're, we're trying to make the doctor's life simpler. And, and by, by furnishing him with the soap note with all that information, you know, we're reducing um, documentation time on his part by 40 percent. The one aspect, if we can go back just a, a quick second, is we didn't talk about the value to payers. And, ah, and really a, a huge oversight on my part. Let's talk about that for a sec. Really from payers, you know, we always look at them as our ultimate target because they're the ones who, who really look to benefit the most. We can save the payers millions and millions of dollars. In, in our ability to route the patient appropriately to the level of care they need. I, I recently read a report where four out of five patients that called into a doctor's office were routed to an emergency room. 
a lot of common illnesses don't require emergency room intervention, certainly that level. You know, an average emergency room visit is going to cost about $880 in total, which is the patient and the, and the insurance company are paying. A virtual visit is $50. That delta is really the framework of what, what the payers stand to gain by you know, having a system in place where those patients get evaluated before they make that decision to step outside of the box and either go to an emergency room or an urgent care center, another doctor, which would be a new patient visit, or, you know, do something a little little risky and go online and, and have an online system, symptom checker tell you you have brain cancer when you really have the flu. Effectively, what, what goes on is that patient has, you know, as you mentioned before, a rash or a chest cold or, or what have you, and they call their doctor, they can't get in, so they go to the emergency room. Would that be... Right. The, the doctor would even send them there just, you know, and from a malpractice standpoint, it's the right thing to do. It's the safest thing because you're getting guaranteed level of professional attention to, to the issue. But if they just answer a few simple questions that are, you know, evidence-based medicine, you answer these questions, we're going to be able to focus on, on what really is, is the, the root of the problem and get you to the appropriate level of care. Your hope is to go to a payer and then have the the payer actually manage your your portal or for the payer to offer the portal to its provider network. Not and really to its patient network, its subscriber network, right? Because the providers aren't necessarily I mean, they're contracted with the doctors, but their their customer are patients. And so by, let's say, Aetna integrating our system into their model, they send a letter to all their patients or an email saying, if you've got any of these symptoms, follow this link, go to GoGo Health first, make a determination, send it to your doctor, and your doctor will let you know what you need to do. So in other words, Aetna makes sure that every doctor and their provider network is using your system. Correct. What advice would you give someone who, who similar to you, might be considering leaving their cushy plan or, or pharma or provider job to strike out on their own, become an entrepreneur, make a change? Find an area where there's need. Find an area where there are inefficiencies that your brain is capable of solving. It, it was there moments of doubt that you had. I mean, you leave a, a full-time job with a guaranteed paycheck in order to to sort of strike out on your your own. Are, are you saying that you've got just got to be really confident about the value prop of where you're going, or are there, are there other factors at play here? Well, there's certainly other factors at play, and and the team that was already on board with Google Health is just amazing. We've got three engineers, a, a doctor. And um, Natasha, our CEO, who were just amazing people and just brilliant. And and from, from my standpoint, a lot of meetings that we go to, I'll just stand in, in awe of, of what they're able to say and how they're able to relate with doctors and other um, industry leaders that they're talking to. Would your advice then be, you know, if you're going to jump ship from a safe job into kind of a risky one, hedge your bets and make sure that you're working with people that you admire? Is that? Yeah, I mean, and that's the same advice for any job you're going to take is you want to evaluate the people that are working there and make sure they're, you know, you're, you're a cultural fit. But it's, it's really just finding that niche where you can make a difference and you can improve what's already there. Sage advice. So what's next for you? You know, you got any cool things that are coming up or anything that you want to talk about? Google Health, we're at the point now where we're going commercial. Um, we have a lot of um, potential clients lined up and it's really just massaging those um, arrangements and, and, and getting two large customers going. Uh, you mentioned IDNs and ACOs. Those are you know, our next big step is, is integrating with, with one of those groups to really prove our model, supply the data that shows how much money we're saving. So how are you um, marketing this? Are you guys kind of dialing for dollars or sending letters? or? We have some 
strategic partnerships in place. Um, Startup Health is a um, really an incubator for startup um, healthcare companies based in New York. We've been members of that for o- over a year. And what they do is they give us advice. They give us sort of framework, the access to legal help, access to accounting help, just sort of help us build the business from within. They help us hone our message and communicate appropriately. We also are participants in the um, the Watson, the IBM Watson Challenge, and we were finalists. And so, and, and we're working with Watson to integrate their artificial intelligence into our engine. And that helps on many fronts. From the front end standpoint, patients are able to explain their symptoms as they feel them. My head hurts and I feel hot. They say that, that's going to populate their symptoms and that's going to tell them which assessment to take. And, and on the back end, it's a really good resource to identify health alerts. So you can ask the patient, you know, have you, you know, they've got certain symptoms. We ask them, have you traveled recently? If you traveled to the Middle East, you know, there's a MERS outbreak if you came in contact with a camel. Well, we can, Watson can, can look for those health alerts based on where the patient said they travel to. Wow. Yeah, there's so many interesting things that can be done with uh, artificial intelligence these days. It's, yes. it's mind-boggling. Well, it's really great speaking with you today, Robert. I truly enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Daisy. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about GoGo Health, head over to RelentlessHealthValue.com slash 11. And you will find the bio of Robert White as well as links to the GoGo Health website. Did you know that you do not have to remember to download the latest Relentless Health Value podcast each week? You can subscribe. If you subscribe, then the episode will be automatically delivered to you in one of two ways. The first way is via iTunes. If you go to RelentlessHealthValue.com and you look over in the right-hand sidebar, you will see a gigantic orange dot. If you click on that dot, you will be taken over to iTunes. And if you hit subscribe there, then every week in your iTunes library, the podcast will automatically download. If you use the podcast app, it will be extra convenient. The other way to subscribe is by looking right underneath that large orange dot to a little form there that says, get the podcast delivered to your email. If you click on that button and type in your email address, then once a week you will get an email with a link to the podcast. It is very easy to subscribe. I'm so glad that you listened this week. Please interact with us on Twitter. We are at Relentless Health on Twitter, and that would be Relentless with only one S. So Relentless with one S, health. Please definitely feel free to interact with us, leave a comment, ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. And I very much hope that you'll tune in next week.